Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. Our guest on today's episode is no stranger to the podcast. We are bringing back one of our more popular guests from episode four. It's John Sotteropoulos who's joining us again. John just finished his first season of professional baseball in Japan, where he played for the Tachigi Golden Braves in the Independent Professional Baseball League. John played Division I and Division II baseball in California. And during this episode, we reflect on his time in college, his time as a professional, what he's learned, how he breaks down his swing mechanics, what he's working on in the off season. We tap into the mental game. And more importantly, we talk about how some of the lessons that John's learned on the baseball field apply to high school baseball players looking to play at the next level and how some of those lessons also translate to success off the field. So, We hope you'll join us for this wide-ranging interview, which starts right now. What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. On this podcast with me as a co-host today is Eric Del Prado. Eric, what's up? How's it going? And we are joined by John Sotteropoulos. This is his second go around with us on the podcast and the second guest that we've brought brought back. So excited to talk shop with him. A few housekeeping notes. Um, this is our first year participating in Big Day of Giving on May 2nd. So we hope you'll check out our website. We have lots of information on how you can support Keep Playing Baseball leading up to that day and then actually on the Big Day of Giving. Um, that's really it. Uh, let's jump right into it and talk some baseball. Today's MLB opening day. So, John, I want to I start with you, man. Um, What's going I, on, E? I, I thought it would be fun if we talked a little Major League Baseball. And, and I want to know who your favorite player of all time is and then who your favorite current player to watch is. Favorite player of all time. Um, that's a tough question. I'd have to go favorite player to watch of all time. It would probably be Manny Ramirez because he was just okay. a combination of um, his swing was great. I'm a big fan of the swing, a big fan of the approach. And uh, most importantly, he seemed like he had a lot of fun playing baseball. So that's like kind of the triple whammy for me. Manny being Manny. Manny being Manny and not being sorry about being Manny. Is there. Is there any Soteropolis being Soteropolis out there? A little bit. 
sometimes, especially in Japan. Love that. And then Maybe, at Loyola High School a little bit too. Yeah, and, and you and EDP were in high school at the same high school at the same time. What what do you got on that, Eric? Is uh is John being forthcoming here? Is there some Soderopolis being Soderopolis? I feel like uh there's no there's no off switch on Soderopolis being Soderopolis, so I think he's being very truthful in uh in his player comp being Manny Ramirez off in his off the field antics. <laughs> Love it. Off, How- the, off the field only I can't hit like Manny. <laughs> <laughs> if if only you can right. use right center with the best of them. Yeah. Um, how about you, Eric? Who's your favorite? Now you have an, a unique experience with Major League Baseball. Your dad works for the Padres, so you've been around the team for a long time. Do you have a, a favorite baseball player of all time? Um, this is a tough one. I want to say, growing up, all time favorite would be Eric Gagne. Um, Ooh, he was uh, pretty dominant when I was growing up. Obviously, eighty-four straight saves. I actually cried when uh, he broke that streak. It was. It was a tough time for me in my life, and <laughs> I just think I don't know. I think him having the same name as me helped being a little when I was a little kid, and he was just dominant. So that was my favorite player. I think my favorite player of all time. Awesome, awesome. I've got a I've got a whole host of players that I enjoyed watching. Um, Pedro Martinez, Nomar Garcia Parra was a big Red Sox guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull one um, that that shouldn't be lesser known. I'm going Darren Lewis. Um, Cal guy, uh, great defensive center fielder, offensive weapon. Uh, that's who I'm going with. Um, how about nowadays, John? Is there anyone that you really yeah, like watching? Yeah, now, um, I was thinking about that and uh, I can't believe I kind of forgot because he just got traded from my hometown in Los Angeles, but uh, Pui, <laughs> Yasiel Pui. I, I see a trend here with guys who just enjoy playing the game. Yeah. Being themselves. Yeah. When we got traded this off season, um, it was on the, the front page of all the newspapers in LA and it was, it was a sad time. You're a Reds fan now. Uh, I'm a Puig fan. So whoever he plays for, I'd, I'd like to see him win. Gotcha. How about you, Eric? Any, anyone you like watching now? I'd probably say, Joey Votto being a, a left-handed hitter, and he seems like he's a big student of the game, so that's always fun to watch and kind of see his process throughout his at-bats. Great, great sense of humor as well. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Cool. Well, you, uh, right now, um, I got to go with my former players. Uh, Andrew Knapp with the Philadelphia Phillies. Chad John Sotaropoulos with the Tochigi Golden Braves. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Always a Sodi fan. Um, Trevor Hildenberger with the Twins. Oh, yeah. And uh, Chad Sabaka with the Braves. And then Tony Renda has been up and down with the, with the Red Sox. So he got a ring last year. So I always root, well, for the, root for those guys. They're fun to watch. Obviously, I know a little bit more about their background and, and how they got there. So, um, but yeah, happy happy opening day to everyone. You probably didn't jump on here to listen to us talk about our favorite players. So let's let's get into it uh, and, and pick John's brain a little bit about. Let's get into it, E. Yeah, his experiences <laughs> playing abroad. So last time we talked to him, he was with the uh, Tachigi Golden Braves, an independent professional team in Japan. 
he's back in the States now. He's training at driveline baseball. And, um, you know, we didn't scare you off the first time on the pod. You're back. So tell us about mm-hmm. your first uh, pro season in Japan. Yeah, the first um, pro season went, uh, it was, it's a different experience. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Japanese culture, it is an entirely different world um, than America. But everybody's really nice and they treat you well. But outside of the main cities, I think I might have mentioned this on the last pod too. Um, there's like no foreigners really and there's nobody really that speaks English. (laughs) So you got to find a way to, um, you got to find a way to keep yourself busy, which I would do with, uh, I'd read a lot and um, I definitely study the swing like I've been doing for a long time now. But uh, the, the baseball is pretty similar um, with, there's nothing too crazy. I know um, when people talk about Japanese baseball, it's kind of synonymous with like West Coast baseball and they like to talk about the bond. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, def- we definitely bunt. <laughs> we definitely mixed in a couple one out sacrifice bunts too. <laughs> but uh, the, the baseball the baseball is pretty similar. And then the league itself um, is run very official. Uh, it's not like some of the independent ball that you get in America where it's kind of 50 50 if you're going to get your paycheck on time. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing for you i guess playing over there yeah they make it really really um really really user-friendly for the foreigners they set you up with an apartment nice um and uh the games were always running on time everybody it's just everybody has a certain amount of respect for everyone else in japan and that makes everybody like work a little harder and do a good job and tell us about uh how it went on the field for you yeah, so on the field, uh, I definitely didn't perform as well as I would have liked. I kind of started in the preseason games. I was doing really well. And then um, the real season came around. I kind of got – I hit a little bit of a funk. Um, not where I was struggling, but I was walking a lot. And then the contact I did make was not good contact. So it's um, not really the best formula for success. And then I started to kind of be in and out of the lineup. And then towards the second half of the season, I didn't really play that much. But, um, yeah, to be honest, I didn't play as well as I would have liked. But, you know, it's always a learning experience. Yeah, I think um, what's so cool is the way that college baseball can act as a stepping stone, not just to playing baseball at the next level, but obviously to life experiences like the one that you just had. So um, talk a little bit about how you feel like – your college baseball experiences since you played at multiple schools uh, helped you prepare for your first turn in pro ball. And can you kind of expand on um, what college baseball has meant in terms of getting you to where you are today? Yeah, um, that, that's a good question. Uh, so I went to, I went to Cal with Ethan for three years and then um, I put at Dominguez Hills as a graduate transfer for one year. And for that one year, I lived at home, too. So that was a little bit of a different experience. But the kind of the two things that I think overlap in both of those experiences are you're going to have to your schedule is going to be busy and you got to learn how to do time management. And like you got a lot of small choices within the day where you can like choose to scroll through Instagram for five minutes or 10 minutes, or I could like study my Japanese vocabulary for 10 minutes. And that was one of the biggest things that college baseball helped me with was using the time that you do have to yourself in a productive manner. 
because it's very easy to kind of fall into the trap of just not doing anything productive. Like I said, going on some type of social media for that 10 or 15 minutes. But then once I started studying Japanese, I learned that um, it's best to keep track of how much time you actually put into uh, studying the language, not how long you've been studying the language. So I would study in 30 minute intervals. And then you, I put my, I track my hours down in my, um, my journal or my, my calendar. And you start to realize that 10, 15 minutes, two to three times a day, that's half an hour. And then within the course of a week, that's like two and a half hours and all of that starts to add up. So definitely the, the time management. And then even um, not just with uh, studying Japanese in uh, Japan, but also um, when I was working full time too, um, I always felt like I kind of had not, I, I always felt like I had a little bit of an advantage because I knew how to like get stuff done when I needed to get stuff done. Cause that's kind of what you got to do when you're a college athlete. Um, you're definitely not going to have as much time as the regular students to put into your schoolwork, but that doesn't mean you still shouldn't do a good job with the time you do have. You just got to make more better use of your time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about what you said is, you know, you're talking about how time adds up, right? Little chunks of time. So it does to, to draw a parallel to the recruiting process, which is, you know, what we're trying to educate people on here at keep playing baseball. You know, a lot of people look at this daunting process of, you know, jumping through all these hoops and finding a team and contacting coaches. And if you really just hone in and spend, and we say 10, 15 minutes a day goes a long way, right? So if you read an, one article a day on our website, you um, work on writing an email for 10, 15 minutes a day, um, all that stuff really adds up. Like you said, you know, by the end of the week, you've, you've put a considerable chunk of time towards your long-term goal. And then, you know, that just continues to add up. So whether it's learning language or the recruiting process or anything else, I think, um, you know, you, you crushed that one right there, just giving people advice about how to build quality habits. Yeah. Building, I think what you said too, that's very important um, is you got to set your long-term goal first uh, or else it, you won't be as motivated to spend that 15 minutes reading the KBO or um, KPB, sorry, reading the KPB or, crafting the email for a couple schools because you won't have the same direction if you don't have the final um, end goal in sight. So before you even start anything, kind of figure out what it is you want to accomplish and then chunk it out into 15, 30 minute intervals every day. Yeah. Eric, I'd be curious to, uh, you know, you're a college coach. How do you see that with your players in terms of the time management? Do you, do you see any, change between the freshmen and seniors in terms of how they're able to use their time effectively? I think definitely. I think you can see it too in the, you know, the students that are the high academic guys and they usually plan out to be the guys that, you know, are most efficient in their time in practice and out of practice too. <clears throat> um, so like John said, you only have a certain amount of hours in the day, but like when you, when you break it down into what you want in the long term and how you're going to get there in the short term, those guys definitely end up being the most successful on and off the field. And it's really, I it really, you know, you only have a certain amount of time and it takes what it takes to be good in all things. So you really just got to break up your time and make sure you get all those things done. No, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so speaking of time use, John, what was your, you know, your game day routine? 
during this um game day routine in japan yep what what was it like from the time you woke up to the time your head hit the pillow yeah so we played most of our games at 1 p.m i'll probably say like 80 percent of them were day games so if we played at home that means that 1 p.m 12 means we'd start stretching at nine but that we had to be at the field setting up the banners the marketing banners for the league at like eight so i'd, I'd uh i'd wake up around like 6 30 um drink some coffee and then i would drive i had a car so i would drive to the field which was like 15 minutes away i'd stop at the 7-eleven um get some pregame fuel but the 7-elevens in japan are much nicer and like they get f- uh, fresh food shipped in every day so the egg sandwiches at the 7-Eleven in Japan are really good. And it's not like the 7-Elevens in America where they leave the same taquito sitting out for like two days. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're getting – so the, the egg sandwich is your go-to fuel for the game day. Egg sandwich um, or the onigiri, which is like the rice balls with salmon in it because then that would give me like the carbs to give me some energy and then um, the protein and some fats to keep me from getting full – to keep me from getting hungry for a while too. And then um, we'd go set up the banners from like 8 to 8.30. And then um, from 8.30 to 9, I would usually do – I'd warm up my arm with like a lot of the driveline stuff because once 9 o'clock hits, you it's not your time. It's their time, and they tell you what to do. So I would do like my J-bands. Um, I'd throw some plyo balls and stuff, just get my arm warm. And then 9 o'clock hits, we'd stretch from like 9 – 9:45 BP from 9:45 for like an hour and a half, and then we had about while the other team was taking BP, they would, uh, which is, is kind of cool. They'd give all the uh, Tochigi Golden Brave players ten dollars to spend outside because we would have a ton of food trucks come to our games. It was kind of like a food truck party, which is cool. And uh, I'd usually go and uh, there's a guy who made hamburgers, <laughs> and uh, I'd go, I'd go and get a hamburger. I'd get a hamburger and then I would usually get uh, like some, like a teriyaki bowl with like rice and chicken and game starts. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You could get that all for $10. Yeah. Yeah. Hamburger. They had, he actually, I went to the hamburger guy so much that he ended up making a John special. It was uh, a hamburger with uh, French fries and fried chicken offer. You could take it home offer a low price of 1000 yen. $10, $10, 10 yen. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. He was my guy. So you get to, you get the fuel, second round yeah. of fuel. Second round of fuel. And then, um, t- and then we'd go out, we'd warm up again and take our in and out. And then other team take in and out. Game starts at one. Game goes from one to around like, I don't know, one to four, one to four thirty. We pick up the field. I was usually home by around like 6, 6.30. And then uh, do whatever, go eat dinner. I was usually pretty gassed around that time, um, especially if we had a game the next day. That's another 6.30 wake-up call. So I'd just kind of chill in my apartment and go to sleep around like 9, 9.30, and then do it all again the next day. Man, so that's a long day at the yard. And we hear it's a very lot long, about, very long day. hear a lot then, about the Japanese – routine and practice routine right so that even applies to game days then yeah it's not like um maybe you play like a 7 p.m game at, at college and then the next day it's a 11 a.m game on a sunday 
So coach says, we'll just take BP in the cage. That never happens in Japan. It's there's, there's no give and take. Uh, it's always the same schedule, no matter what. It's not, Oh, our guys look tired. We're not, we're going to skip in and out. That, that type of thinking does not exist. So it's, you've got the process and you're working the process. But yeah, which is cool because you also know what to expect. Um, And then, like I said, like we talked about before, that um, is that's a good carryover for life too. Because uh, sometimes you're gonna have to do stuff you don't want to do, but you got to go out there and you got to find a way to do it and like try hard. And I guess with me, the most important part was like making sure I did my mobility and taking care of my body because you don't want to get a lingering injury especially like overseas. Right. How about your off day routine or your practice day routine was, how was that different from game day? Yeah. The practice, the practice was actually pretty much the same. We'd start practice um, at nine though. And then we practice from like nine to one. And then uh, I'd get home a little earlier. And then when I got home, I'd try to get to the gym or just kind of like the same deal, go eat. But the off days were different. Um, Monday was our off day almost every week. We'd get Mondays off and uh, Mondays I'd just kind of do whatever. I usually, so our team, we owned a, uh, we bought out an old elementary school and we turned it into a baseball village, which was really cool. And uh, we had a infield and we had a, they, they turned the cafeteria into batting cages, but like nice batting cages with a um, pitching machine that would throw. So you didn't need anyone else. So I'd usually go and I'd hit by myself, um, just take a ton of swings off the pitching machine from like five to seven. The only problem was that when the summer came around, it was so hot that uh, I'd have to take breaks because I couldn't grip the bat because I was sweating too much. But before <laughs> that, you just kind of the same thing. Um, hang around, uh, read, study, watch uh, TV. We get the MPV games on, on the cable too in the apartments, which was cool. Did you make it but, to any of those games? I never made it. I never made it to an MPB game, but we would scrimmage a lot of. So the MPB each has one minor league team. It's not like America where you have like five minor league teams per affiliate. So we would scrimmage the minor league teams, and um, we'd get to scrimmage at their facilities. Sometimes we went up to Rakuten, which is like four hours north of Tokyo, and uh, we scrim we scrimmaged at their practice facility, and it was an off day for their big league team too, which was cool. So they were, we got to see them practice and we got to see all their big leaguers take BP and practice. And then um, we scrimmage them. But that's another, that's like another thing is that when we played away day games and that one was four hours away, that's the bus is leaving at like four 30 in the morning. So that's talk about a long day. Uh, bus yeah. leaves at four 30 in the morning, games at one, finish the game at four 30 bus leaves for home at like six. Then you're getting home at around 11. And then the Lord knows what you have to do the next day. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a long day, Johnny. Yeah, no, it, it is a long day. And then um, the, you got lots of pockets of time on the bus too. So you got, you definitely, you want to plan out what you're going to do with your free time. So you don't just get caught in like that um, limbo of not knowing what to do. Yeah. Nice. nice. Now, uh, Ethan had talked about it a little earlier, but you're training up at driveline this off season. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I hadn't, I didn't have a contract with any Japan team, but I wanted, I knew I wanted to go train at driveline just in case anything panned out because, um, 
what was possibly going to be my last season. I wanted to make sure I gave myself the best chance. Um, so I went up there. I, I drove up from Los Angeles in the beginning of February. And then uh, I trained there for two months. I, I just finished my training because um, I'm not going to play next year, but I got an opportunity to work at Driveline, which I'm really pumped about. Awesome. So uh, how do you kind of – Obviously, Driveline's a big name in the baseball player development, but how'd you kind of get hooked up or, you know, kind of want to go out there? And then what were you kind of things you were working on when you were up there? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, last year, I went up for a weekend because Max Dudo, who Ethan knows as well, we Think played at cap- Cal. Yeah, the captain. We played at a pod- podcast guest as well. Yeah, KPB podcast guest. We, uh, Max was working up there because Max played a year at Menlo. And when he was at Menlo, Jason Ochart was Max's hitting coach. And Jason's now the hitting director of Driveline. And he's also the hitting coordinator for the Phillies too. Um, so that's how I kind of knew. I knew about Driveline, but that's kind of like my uh, connection with them. And then this year, because last year I only went for a weekend. And it's a weekend's definitely not enough. Um, so this this year I wanted to stay for at least a month to get like fully immersed in the like the environment with especially with like the mobility and strength training programs. So I went up there in February and so I guess I'll talk about what I was working on with my swing. How's that sound, DP? Sounds good to me. Yeah, so base I'm pretty big. Um I'm like when I got there I was like 210 pounds. I'm pretty strong, like six feet. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I would, uh, they have a hit track, so they track all your batted balls, especially off the machine. There's a lot of guys there, like even high schoolers, like these high schoolers were good, but they're hitting the ball harder than me. And I'm like, well, something doesn't add up. Like I could definitely lift more than these guys in like your conventional deadlift squat bench press. But when I swing the bat, I'm not, producing the same amount of like exit velocity that they are mm-hmm. so i was starting to think um but then they have a k-vest which i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it's a piece of techno a wearable it's wearable technology where it measures the uh it measures your rotational velocity of your hips torso lead arm and hands and basically if you have an efficient kinematic sequence you're um you're going to rotate your hips, your torso, your lead arm, and then your hands are going to rotate in that order. And in that mm-hmm. order is really important because then that's going to allow you to produce the, the fastest swing. And then you're going to be able to hit the ball, ball as far. So they have a swing design pro they have a swing design process where you go with the hitting trainer. And when I was there, it was Max Dudo because he was still there and um, he hooked me up on the K vest and basically my hands and my hips were coming too close at the same time which makes sense because for like the past five years, I've kind of just tried to, I've, all my training has been hitting fly balls as far as I can to center field. So if you can kind of imagine what that path would look like, it made sense mm-hmm. to me why my hands and my hips came at the same time. Right. So it's like easy to diagnose that problem with the K-Vest, but then the hard problem was fixing that. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so I knew, I know that my hands and my hips come at the same time, 
and that how am I going to be able to change that motor pattern, especially once I get into like a live at bat setting where thinking mm -hmm. about doing something doesn't translate. It's just got to be a muscle pattern that's ingrained in my muscle memory. <laughs> but, um, what was, what was your, what did they prescribe for you? Or what did you guys plan out as kind of your process to build that muscle memory? Yeah, that's a great question. So what uh, Max had me do some drills and stuff that um, with front toss and they kind of worked towards the end of the lesson. Like my sequence was a little better, but then going forward, what I would really try to do is um, I'm, try, I'm trying to, th yeah, what, what really helped me was that uh, when I, when I strided, my hips were still sliding forward. I wasn't, able to land and like stick my landing with my front foot and then allow my hips to rotate around that leg my hips would mm -hmm. kind of my, my foot would hit and then my pelvis would keep sliding forward while it was um per, uh, perpendicular to the pitcher so I, my my rotation was like leaking which is what caused my hips to and my hands to come at the same time so what we did was we had a uh, i kind of worked no stride a lot because when you know stride, it's almost impossible to have your hips leap forward. And then we also put a pair of wrist weights on my back foot, like on the inside of my back foot, because that would, uh, that made my back foot stay back so that when my hips started to fire, my back foot couldn't come too far forward. And that seemed to work a lot, but the main, like what it was all centered around was keeping my center of mass, like, planted when my front foot hit and then that allowed my rotation to be maximized and it worked too because then um, i saw my numbers and stuff go up especially when i was taking the type of swings uh that i, I knew looked good because we get them on video too right definitely so that's that's pretty technical so i'm gonna try very yeah very technical i, I tried to explain my best um, yeah with, i want no video i want to try and just simplify and i don't want to oversimplify but um so essentially you have different parts of your body, you know, starts with the hips, torso, arms, hands, bat. That's the sequence that you want, right? Yeah. Your, your sequence was a, a little bit out of whack. You had uh, things firing at the wrong time. So you were basically leaking energy, right? Leaking energy is a great way to put it. Yeah. So you're, whereas your, your body, your strength, if you were to square the ball up, you should have been hitting it a lot harder than you were. Yeah. You were, you were losing some of this potential exit velocity, potential ability to, uh, to really square it up. Like yeah. almost like a, a rubber band stretched. Right. And if you want that thing to fire as fast as possible, you would pull it all the way back and let go. And you were kind of, pushing it forward before letting it go so it wasn't as stretched out wasn't as coordinated yeah i was only stretching it out like 75 percent, and then like if i tried to shoot you with it it would just land at your feet <laughs> gotcha so don you had kind of talked about on uh kind of going off on that how you a lot of your free time you spent like studying the swing and obviously you're a dedicated individual to want to you know go up the driveline and really train for his last off season but kind of take us through where that started obviously we, a lot of high school kids are listening to this and you know they may or may not be interested in their swing or how to get better and how did that process kind of start for you and do you think it's important that high school kids kind of 
have that drive where you think that helped you through your college experience? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I wish I would have, and when I was in high school, I wish I would have started studying the swing more. Um, because when I was in high school, I could hit and I could get hits, but I couldn't hit for that much power. And, uh, yeah, I could, I could get my hits. I still can. Um, <laughs> but the thing was, uh, I couldn't, I could never drive the ball, but I wasn't concerned about driving the ball because I didn't know how important it was. I guess you could say I was kind of, um, kind of stubborn because like I was doing well and I knew I was doing well, but I didn't have, I should have set my goals a little higher to like hit, for, hit more home runs because home Some, runs are definitely important. Somewhere out there, Steve Springer is fist pumping at the thought of, uh, you being married to your batting average, right? <laughs> yeah and it was good i hit like 430 my junior year <laughs> um but yeah Bat when i uh my freshman year when i got to cal um you get i got put in the setting where you're hitting bp with guys that are three years three four years older more physically developed and they just have a better had a better swing than me and you you can't hide like i'm hitting the ball as hard as i can it's going to the left fielder and they're hitting the ball far and it's like going over the fence into the rec center. So then I, I knew like I got to change something or else there's no way I can expect myself to get playing time. And that's when I found uh, that summer, my freshman going into sophomore year, I found a hitting coach. Um, his name is Craig Wallenbrock. And he, yeah, he's the, he's the one of the best hitting coaches on the planet. Um, and he started to retool my swing path and my hand path to be able to hit the ball farther in the air. But most importantly, what he did was he encouraged me to go out and watch all the best current um, best big leaguers and start making my own observations and seeing like, Hey, what do they do? What watch, maybe watch this same swing 10 times, only watch the back foot, watch this swing 10, 15 times, only watch his front foot, watch this swing five times, but only watch his back elbow. And he just encouraged, he kind of just blew my mind by telling me to have a new thought process and go watch as much film as possible. And that's exactly what I did. Interesting. I, I have a, a follow up to that. Yeah. Um, so, what you're talking about really is there's a, the blend of two things to me, right? You're talking about coachability, having someone, you know, outside your perspective coming in to help you. And, Absolutely. And, and you're talking about purposeful observation and what I want you to dive into a little bit more is obviously you talk about studying the swing and you talk about your training habits and your use of time you know coachability isn't just finding a hitting guru and saying fix me right yeah you're a very active participant in this so can you talk a little bit about you know that investment and how important it is for young guys to really take ownership over what they're doing instead of just looking for a quick fix or looking for someone to tell them what to do? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good question too. So when you're, when you're young too, especially, um, it's easy. Basically when the best coaches that I've had were, they tell me something, but if I asked, they'd always be able to tell me why they wanted me to do that. So like with Craig, it's like, he's like, Hey, you got to do this with your back elbow. And then, and then I'd say, Oh, like, why, why, why is that going to help me? Or like, what does that change in my swing? 
in like not like a challenging but more in a learning from a learning type standpoint and he'd always be able to explain or show me like a videos of a big leaguer or show me why that's keeping me from getting my bat into a certain position and um so that that's being coachable you don't just want to um it's hard to explain this but you don't just want to listen and like take something everyone says and do it because when it comes down to it especially as you get older and especially as you get into pro ball you're going to be your own best coach because when you think about it you're not going to have the same coach you're going to have a different coach every level you go to so it's your job to take all the information that the coaches give you synthesize that information and apply it to yourself in a way that works best for you because if you listen and do exactly what every coach tells you then you might be doing like different stuff every single year when in reality you know what's like best for you you're going to find out what works for you as a player Interesting. I don't, uh, yeah, that's a, I. I try to answer my, that question as best as possible, but it's kind of tough. Basically, yeah. what I'm saying, yeah, basically what I'm saying is that um, it's if a, if you have a question, don't be afraid to ask the coach because um, if he's a good coach, he should be able to explain it to you, and he should want to explain it to you so that you can gain that knowledge, and then you can grow as a player, and then you'll be able to spread more knowledge too and help people out as you go through your career. Love it. Definitely, definitely. So uh, you kind of touched on some some technology that you have used to kind of help you improve your swing. What would you say are the main pieces of technology you've used to really help you learn and just improve your swing as you've gone through this process? Yeah, so um, I felt like I'd gotten my swing to when I watched it on video. I'd, I'd gotten it to a good point, and I liked the way my, my swing looked. But like I said, the technology doesn't lie. So when I'm hitting on the hit tracks, uh, hit tracks is software that tracks your batted ball, and then you see it in real time. So when I'm hitting on the hit tracks, my exit velocity wasn't where I wanted it to be. And for reference, usually I was in between like 90 and um, 95, 90, 94 to 95 when I'm hitting the ball well. Uh, in batting practice and most guys that are like my size and most pro players are able to hit the ball like 96 to 103 that's like the consistency where you want to be for um, a professional baseball player so just having the real-time feedback of seeing what your exit velocity was on a ball like if you'll hit one say for example there's no hit tracks you hit a ball good and you're like dang i hit a ball good that's going to go out and you're you're in the cage and then you're in hit you see how you're in a cage with hit tracks and you're like i hit a ball good and then you look and it's only 88 miles per hour you're like wow um so what, what broke down in my swing where i think i hit that ball good but it's not coming off as hard as i wanted to and then um the other piece of technology that really helped me was the blast motion sensor so because i've just trained the way i swing the bat not my intent so I'm just training like my hand path and stuff for five or six years. It was easy for me to only train at like 80 to 90%, but I wasn't able to, when I really wanted to swing hard, my body didn't really know how to swing hard. Um, so there's a measurement that I would look at. It's called hand speed. And it's basically like how fast you're swinging the bat. It kind of, for me, at least it directly correlated to my intent swinging. So I would put the blast sensor on my bat. And then I would take the iPad because the blast sensor spits out the measurements from the swing you just took in real time on that iPad. So I'd put it 
on the side of the cage that I'm looking at. So I'd swing. And if my hand speed wasn't where it wanted to be, then I would just keep swinging hard until it was up there. And then I try and keep it in that range. And that was really, really good for me because in the games, you don't want to be caught swinging at 70% when a guy's throwing like 95, you got to have your best swing. And the only way to have your best swing as a game is by training and practice. So I would put the blast iPad there and then I would limit when I really started to like see my training be good was when I started limiting my rounds off the machine in between like six and seven swings, because that was a good cutoff for me. Cause I would consciously know that like, Oh man, I only have six swings. You got to cut it loose on all six of these swings instead of like a round of eight or 12 where you just, you get a little tired and then you just start to focus on squaring the ball up instead of swinging hard. Yeah. There's um obviously a lot for, listeners to digest in what you just said we're talking about technology which comes at a cost and a lot of the people that we're speaking to out there might not be able to afford to have a a k vest or maybe even even blast you mentioned it briefly where you said you know you're, you're aware of this what what are some and i don't know that there's a an easy or right answer to this but if someone's out there and they can't afford these pieces of equipment what's the closest thing that you think they can do just in terms of monitoring themselves in order to, uh, you know, get some, some data, get some feedback that's more quantifiable. Is there anything you can think of? Yeah, that I definitely, um, because even before technology hit baseball, I would do this too. Um, I have a bucket of baseballs and I would just go to a field and I would take front toss or I would take batting practice on the field and just seeing where your balls land is a pretty good measure because um, it's, it's basically the same thing as batted ball data, except you're just watching with your eyes. So just go out to a field with a bucket of baseballs and then hit them and see where they land. And that's maybe, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> maybe even some cones, right? To, to yeah, show yeah, you cones. as a reference. Yeah, or um, a, f- a fence is always good too, like any any type of fence, just so that you can see where a ball lands when you think you hit it good, and then maybe you change something in your swing, and then you see how that affects how far your ball is going or the ball flight. Right on. So is there yep. are, are there any metrics um, that you're tracking really carefully throughout the season then? You know, like when you were in Japan, was there anything that you were really – any numbers you were paying attention to? Um, it, it's funny because when I was in Japan, um, I just kind of, I would never look at my stats. I just tried to focus on um, like swinging hard and swinging at strikes. So when I, when I get in the game, it's kind of like you got to, I, I try to shut off most of what I know because if I think then I'm not going to hit as good. And that's just me. I don't know how everybody else works as an athlete, but in the game, I just try and think that the pitcher's not very good and that I'm better than him and that I want to hit a ball hard, like to center field. Like it. So you're, you're talking intent, you're talking mental game. Um, yeah. EDP, EDP. I know you've got, you're running a camp right now. Um, why don't, yeah. you, why don't you give Johnny one more question? before you have to leave us uh definitely yeah so definitely thanks for having me on and thanks for bringing john on it's, it's been a fun time but like you said i kind of got to get back 
back to the kids. So, uh, but John, so one last question, kind of opening everything up. <clears throat> what would you say, like, the biggest lesson you've learned from your experience playing in Japan? And if you could pass something to a high school kid about that lesson, what would you pass along? Um, I think the biggest lesson I learned playing baseball, not just in Japan, but professionally, I um, would be that your athletic window in the scheme of your life is pretty small. So make sure that you exhaust a lot of uh, exhaust. If your goal is to play professional baseball or your goal is to make it to the big leagues, exhaust all those options. Um, because even if you don't make it, you'll have developed a good process for success because you've sought out what's going to make you successful. You've applied it to yourself and just taking that to any other walk of life, you're probably going to do well. So athletic windows, small, exhaust your options and work hard. Love it, man. Love it. So EDP is going to take off. I've got a few more questions that I want to throw your way. Some stuff that we've kind of danced around, but haven't really gotten into specifics. Um, Tell me about your mental game. You know, you talked about when you're in the season, you're just thinking I'm better than this pitcher. What other (coughs) tactics, what are you doing so that your focus is on the thing that you can control? Yes. So, um, the mental game with me, uh, I've started to notice that if I can convince myself or just think about something that's not baseball related, more something that is like makes me feel like I'm the best player on the field. And I'm not going to go out and like tell people I'm better than you, but like just having that feeling one, it makes baseball a lot easier because you want to be a part of the action because you feel so good and like, Oh man, I want my next at bat. And two, when you play that way, it makes baseball a lot more fun. And I can definitely tell you from experience uh, going out to play second base and like wanting the ground ball hit to you so that you can make a sweet play is a lot more fun than going out to second base and hoping that the ball isn't hit to you because you don't want to make an error. Then you're just kind of buying your time. Whereas if you want to be engaged in the action, like everything that happens is a plus, not like an ultimate. Yeah, so we both know the ball. As soon as you start thinking, don't come to me, don't come to me, the ball will find you. The ball will always find you. Yeah. But also what I've, what I've uh, noticed too is that it's it's kind of hard to – and then I, I've especially experienced this in Japan because nobody spoke English. It's a little more difficult to do it on your own, like pump yourself up day in, day out, which is why it helps to have good teammates. And yeah, which is why it helps to have a coach that like stays positive and communicates well with you, even when you aren't playing good, like, Hey, you're not playing good, but we're going to work on this to make you better. So that when I do put you in, I'm putting you in because I expect you to get a hit, just like staying positive with your players and with your teammates can help a lot in baseball and like other sports too. Yeah. I mean, being a, and we know from the recruiting process aspect, um, being a good teammate makes a difference in your recruitability. You know, coaches are a lot more likely to take a chance or at least give you an opportunity to show you belong out there. If you're a, you're a net positive and you're making the guys around you better. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, 
intangibles data doesn't have a way to measure intangibles but um it's definitely when when you look into the dugout and you see your coach was like confident that you're going to get a hit it probably makes hitting it makes hitting a little bit easier and i think that uh when you look into the dugout and your coach doesn't even want to make eye contact with you because he thinks you suck it probably makes hitting harder and if you were able to run a quantifiable study on that, I I wouldn't be surprised if the if the data shows that too, <laughs> with your with your actual outcomes of your batting. <laughs> well, that brings up an interesting point. So, you know, your the way your coach feels or the way your coach looks at you is outside of your control, right? So that's something you want to be able to overcome with your mental game. So if there is a high school kid out there who feels like their coach is looking at them that way or even feels like their coach is against them sometimes or you know we start to uh get into a slippery slope there but if that is the case for a player out there what can they do to overcome that do you have any suggestions for how they can you know say you know what that doesn't matter this is what i need to do yeah so to um overcome that the best thing i would recommend would be to just be so confident in your training that it doesn't matter what other people think about what you're going to do when you're actually in the batter's box or in the field that, you know, and you're so confident in your training that you don't have to worry about what's going to happen because you know that you've prepared yourself in a way that even if things don't go right, then you're still confident that the next time, the next time you get that ground ball or you get your at bat, that it's going to go good because your training was correct like conviction in your choice of training and then conviction in your execution of training. Love that, man. And then uh, also I think that this is um, kind of an issue with just sports in general. When I was doing my master's program, I did uh, I wrote one of my, we had to do a paper on like a topic of our choice. And I did it on why collegiate athletes have been transferring and why the, athlete the percentage of athletes transferring has increased in the last like 10 years Mm -hmm. and um it was qualitative data so it was interview based so i interviewed 10 athletes um when i was at dominguez hills that had transferred and uh basically what i did was you take those the audio file of that interview and i put it in a software and it created a word map so if a word was used a lot then that word would show up larger than the rest of the other words. And if the word was, it basically took like the most 20, 20 most used words and the bigger the word, the more often it was used. So I got to see, it's a way of taking um, interviews and quantifying them into data. Mm -hmm. And basically one of the main words that always popped up was communication. That was like one of the most commonly used words in all my interviews. And from what I learned is that basically like why athletes transfer is lack of communication or just no communication at all. And if you were just, I think a lot of the problems could be resolved just by having the coach or the athlete start a conversation and say like, Hey, I'm not playing as much as I'd like to play. Like what can I work on or what can you help me work on to get better to give myself a better chance to get on the field and help us win. And Sadly, as simple as that seems, it's a conversation that's not had as much as it should. And especially at the high school level, too, where it's really important to have a good relationship with your coach because when coaches call, they're going to talk to him. College coaches call, they're going to talk to him. So just 
develop an open line of communication. And um, now that I'm a little older, that it should definitely be the coach's job to develop a line of communication. It should be the leader's job to develop the communication lines with his players, but that's not going to happen, especially with high school coaches. So you're going to have to go out of your way and talk to him and just see that you guys are on the same page and develop that relationship. Sure. Understanding that the coach wants you to be good. Now there's a lot of reasons why communication might break down between a a high school coach and a player. Um, But ultimately they want you to be good and contributing to the team. So you're not going to, by initiating that conversation and trying to figure out where you need to improve, and how you can demonstrate that you belong on the field. You're going to show that you're engaged, like we've been talking about, that this is something that you want. So it should go very well, even though it might be hard to do at first. Yeah, that's another good lesson um, for life too, like you were talking about, because when when players are done with baseball and they start working for a company, uh, being able to talk to the people that are in charge of you and being able to talk to the people that are in charge of the people that are in charge of you is, is important and just making sure that you're on the same page with them and even expressing uh, your desires for the future and how you can accomplish them. Because especially in a company, it's the same thing. Like the goal of the company is to make money and improve their employees quality of life. So you guys are all working towards the same goal. There's no reason that you shouldn't, be on the same page and how you want to accomplish that. Love it, man. You're crushing this. This is like, uh, <laughs> you know, softballs for you. Just Yeah. Yeah. Softballs, man. Just, I hit like 700 in slow pitch. <laughs> you catch me at Clark field Wednesday night. You heard it here. Um, two, I have two other two questions. One, one, I want you to talk a little bit about how you're incorporating lifting into your training during the off season. So I know, uh, you know, driveline does a great job of doing everything, you know, they're, they're leading the baseball revolution, so to speak. And um, so can you talk a little bit how you work your, your lifting, your strength and conditioning, your mobility, all the health related and strength related stuff into what you talked about earlier with your swing? Yeah, so when I got back to America after my season in Japan, I started my official lifting program in like November. And this was my program um, and only from my brain. I was doing, my goal was to gain as much strength as I can on my bench press, squat, and deadlift. And I did that. My reasoning behind that was kind of bro science. I just wanted to be as strong as possible because at that point, I thought that being as strong as possible was going to make me the best hitter possible. So I did a lot of West Side Barbell Protocol. It's just um, it's basically lifting four times a week. and But then on your off days, your mobility is really important because when you're pushing your body to the max, you got to make sure that your body's getting in the right position so that you don't get hurt when you're at 100%. So I lifted from November until January, and I actually did get a lot stronger. Um, I got a lot stronger in those three lifts. And then I went up to driveline in February and they test your mobility, your strength. And um, yeah, obviously you're swinging batted ball metrics. 
And when I got there, um, my batted ball metrics weren't like, basically I figured out that all the strength I put on probably hadn't helped me become a better hitter. Mm-hmm. It, but that's just me in general because I was already fairly strong. Um, right. So what, what I worked on from February for the month of February was losing weight. Cause I was up to like two thirty. I'd put on weight because I was gaining strength. I was up to at my, at my heaviest, I was up to like two thirty seven, And then one of the trainers there told me that losing weight is going to increase your mobility too, because one of the problems that we thought I might have with my swing, the reason my hands and my hips were coming at the same time, and I wasn't able to create that rubber band separate, that rubber band stretch was because I lack some mobility in my thoracic spine. So if you can, thoracic spines like your uh, middle back. So that makes a lot of sense. And then they told me that if I lose weight, then my mobility will increase. So I started to do a lot more like, um, I, I would, I would maintain my strength, maybe lift twice a week, but I would run a lot more and play a lot more basketball. And, um, I ended up getting down to like 205 pounds and so you during dropped, the- you dropped 30 pounds. I dropped like when I got to drive on, I was probably like 225. I dropped like 20 pounds and um, it helped, it, it helped my swing a lot and my batted ball metrics, like my exit velocity and stuff actually like slowly went up and my swing just kind of felt better in general. And then that was proven because my last week there, they retested my flexibility or they retested my mobility. They gave me my mobility screening and, all my stuff had gone up like significantly, like I'd significantly become more mobile. And that could be a combination of losing weight and incorporating some more of the driveline uh, mobility work. Right. And this is obviously you're working with professionals who know what they're doing. So if you're listening out there and you're a a high school player, um, you know, don't try and do exactly what John did. He's getting screening. He's getting, tested he's getting retested to make sure that he's doing the right things so um, it's important for you guys to consult with your coach and your trainer um, and uh, and professionals who know what they're doing before you just decide you know hey john cut 30 pounds and started hitting nukes so (laughs) i'm I'm gonna do the same so yeah um, that's just a, a little disclaimer now we've been kind of all over the map in this conversation, you know, from favorite major league baseball players to some really specific hitting stuff and um, <clears throat> really love what you said and the way that it all kind of ties together in that it's such baseball has been such a learning experience. And it seems to me, if I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, you know, transformative both on and off the field. So um I thought a good way to wrap things up would be to just give you some open mic time. And if there's any topics you wanted to discuss or messages you want players and parents to take away with them from listening to this interview uh, as they pursue college baseball and, and higher levels of baseball, um, I figured I'd just you know give you the mic and uh, see if you can't mic drop it off. Yeah. Um, so just speaking from my experience, um, the a couple of the things that I wish I would have known a little more about through my baseball career and um, as I was going from high school to 
high, high school to college and then eventually to the one season in Japan. The first would be communication. So when I say communication, I kind of mean like talking to your coach, developing a line of communication with your coach. Um, and along with that would be not, not being afraid to go out of your comfort zone because it's a lot easier to not go into the coach's office than it is to go into the coach's office for like 99% of people out there. But I can tell you that it's much more important to actually have those conversations and to not have those conversations. And I, with my college baseball experience at Cal, I wish that I would have been able to like have better conversations with the coaches and just kind of like better honest and like, we're both telling each other what we think in a, like a open dialogue. I think that really could have helped my experience at Cal and then going forward. And then even in the recruiting process too, um, just putting yourself out there because it's better to be seen. It's better to give yourself more opportunities to be seen. Um, and yeah, like some people like might make fun of you like, Oh, you see his recruiting video, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I have a recruiting video. So my chances of getting seen are better than yours because you don't have one at all. <laughs> so it's right. be, it's better it's better to get yourself seen, even if sometimes that means putting yourself out there and feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, great points to end on right there. Um, yeah, and then to get in the weight room too, because um, if you're not if you're not producing the same amount of strength, you're not going to be able to hit like the athletes you want to hit. Like so, do get in the weight room, find somebody that knows what they're talking about. Um, learn from them and then Google's a great resource too and just get in the weight room try and try and get stronger in all your compound lifts and then see what happens from there love it man crushing it all right I lied I have one more question what is it I want to put you on record who's winning the world series this year and who are they beating oh the world series this year yeah stay one Put it out there. Who who you got winning this thing, and who are they going to beat in the World Series? Oh, I was, when I was up at driveline, I said they were going. I forget who I said was going to win, but everyone started making fun of me. Um, but I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go with the Athletics this year. Athletics taking it home. Yeah, Athletics are going to. They're going to sneak in in the second wild card spot. And they're going on a run. Who are they going to beat? The Athletics will beat the Dodgers in the World Series. Dodgers taking the, the Dodgers A's all California all California series. So you're saying the Dodgers, that's your team, right? I like to see them win. I, I'm a baseball fan. Love that answer. Yeah. But you're saying they're gonna go hat Seven trick. games. Hat hat trick for losing the World Series in a row. Yeah. Okay. Matt Olson hit a walk off Grand Slam. You heard it here first. We've been talking with John Sotteropoulos, who played at the Division One and Division Two levels in college. Um, he's been playing independent professional baseball in Japan and working and training at Driveline Baseball up in the Seattle area. John, always a pleasure having you, and uh, I look forward to talking to you down the line, bringing you back on the show, and uh, continuing to see how your perspective on the game develops absolutely thank you man hopefully i can become a recurring guest in the future make this an annual thing sounds good to me i'll put you on the books and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks again 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the recruiting process or how to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. That's at KeepPlayingBB on Twitter, KeepPlayingBaseball on Facebook, and at KeepPlayingBaseball on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review, or at least tell your friends. We provide all this information for free because we want to help you get to the next level. If you're interested in a partnership or sponsorship in underwriting some of the Keep Playing Baseball content on our website or being the title sponsor or running ads on our podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to catching you on the next one.